So we have been on a journey. We've had three lessons so far where we have talked about, um, where we've talked about deliverance. We've dealt with a lot of uh, different aspects of deliverance. And, uh, and it's, been, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful, wonderful study. I do hope and pray that, you, you, that you've been able to, to use some of this, that you've been able to use it in your own life, you've been able to use it in your prayer life, um, but then you've also been able to use it to help minister to others, because that's also what it's about. When we learn these things about the Lord, it's not just for us, but it's for us to use for the edification of the saints. So that means that that means that we should be using what God has given us. Okay, we should be using those things in order to edify, uh, in order to edify the saints. So that's just something that we should be doing. Now, last week we talked about um, um, uh, we we, we kind of ended with some uh, with a uh, with, with some questions and uh, for us to uh, consider. Now we talked about how we struggle in the area, okay, of um, of walking in deliverance. Okay, we we at times it's not always the easiest thing for us to do. We just we we drop the ball, and 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 the jury's out on the reason. Sometimes you know we don't even know why. We just we it seems like we're going in the right direction, and then all of a sudden we kind of derail. But we learned some things on the last several weeks that kind of shed some light, you know, as to just why is it that we actually uh, struggle or why is it that we run into um, um, issues when it comes to um, walking in um, the deliverance um, um, the um, deliverance that that God has has, has given us and, and and we learned that we struggle in it and we walking in it why because um, um, we struggle um, with our deliverance because deliverance is often part of a cycle. And we learned about that um, in dealing with the book of Judges. So we were in Judges chapter three. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and make your way back there. Uh, look at verse number 12. We're gonna go through verse uh, 15. Bible says this, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon and the Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But, verse 15, when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Gera, or Jira, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto uh, Eglon, or Eglon, the king of Moab. Amen. May the Lord have a blessing uh, to the reading, hearing, uh, and doing of his word, as always. We learned about uh, in the book of Judges that the book of Judges is one of those books where if you're going to have a conversation about deliverance, you need to be talking about at some point the book of Judges because in the book of Judges, we learn that you see more instances of deliverance than almost any other book in the, uh, in the Bible. You, it, 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 it's, it, is, uh, it is full 
of deliverance. You see many different shades of deliverance, different flavors of deliverance. We've learned also that in the book of Judges, we learned that it consists of what is known as major and minor uh, judges. And we learned that that major and minor designation, that doesn't really have anything to do with one being necessarily more skilled or better than the other, didn't have that anything to do with that. That just simply meant that those who are considered major there's more information in the book of Judges about that particular judge. If they were called minor, then that just simply means that there's not a lot of information in the book of Judges on that particular judge beyond the, um, the fact that um, God chose them, God raised them up, and God used them to deliver um, um, to deliver the people. So we learned that um, as we went on with that, that there is a cycle of deliverance that uh, follows, that goes throughout, constantly repeats um, within the book of Judges. Now, last week, we really kind of dove into uh, several things when we looked at verses 12 and 13, when we talked a little bit more about the children of Israel doing uh, evil again. Uh, in the sight of the Lord. We also talked about the Lord strengthening Eglon, Eglon, which really meant that he allowed him to grow strong. Amen. And we talked about how that when we, when we engage in wickedness, okay, because evil there actually covers any area of sin that you can think of. It's wide enough to cover all of that. So when that word there in that phrase in uh, Judges 3, um, verse 12 says they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. That word again allows us to really kind of plug and play. You can take anything that is wrong, that's contrary, that goes against God. You can put it in there and that would fall under that category. Nevertheless, they, they worked this continual uh, wickedness. Again, lets us know that they were repeat offenders. They kept going with this. They kept, they kept sinning. So God would deliver them. Um, then they would start walking. God would deliver them. Then they start walking in sin. Then all because they start walking in sin, they get themselves enslaved or in trouble. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The cycle goes on. They start crying out to God. God sends a deliverer. And then they would kind of wash, rinse, and repeat this same thing. We learned that the enemy, we learned that when we do this, Okay, we allow the things that God has delivered us from to grow stronger again in our lives and brothers and sisters. That is extremely important when we sin continuously. Okay, when we when when we start trying to handle stuff through the arm of the flesh on our own, it's only going to be a matter of time before guess what that flesh is going to get the better of you. Okay, and whereas the scripture tells us um, to walk in the spirit and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, well, guess what? When you start walking in, your, in that flesh as opposed to walking in the spirit, something's going to happen. Those things that God delivered you from, those things that God delivered me from, they are going to begin to do what Eglon, the king of, Mo, the king of Moab did, and that is it's going to begin to grow in strength. Okay, when God delivers you and you're some you're on the phone and God has delivered you for some from some things, but maybe you're finding yourself getting, you know, being allured back into whatever it is. Maybe it's just it's it, maybe it's not it's not as strong as it was, but you're starting to feel 
the, the, the twinges of that desire beginning to come back and 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 and, and the, the the flame is starting to be kindled and whereas before you you kind of flurried you were doing good okay and everything was kind of feeling like you know what i'm going on the right track but then all of a sudden you started seemingly to de derail a lot of people started having that especially during this uh during this uh shelter in place in a lot of area um, situation that we have with this COVID and all these sorts of things. Some individuals, some brothers and sisters, as soon as they were unable to go to church physically, all of a sudden that flesh started getting strong. That flesh started getting strong. And brothers and sisters, it's not intended to do that. It's not intended to be that way. But nevertheless, when we begin to take a back seat or we begin to relax, okay, on what we're supposed to do, so since I brought that, that COVID, so I'm going to use that as, as an example. Well, we might not be able to go back just the way that we were. Okay. We don't have, you know, church is not, uh, we're not having church services the same exact way that we are. But prior to that, we were in church and we were receiving the word and all of these sorts of things. Well, guess what, brothers and sisters, it was always God's intent that what you were getting, what I was getting on a, on a, on a weekly basis from church. Okay, when before COVID, so keep, so take your mind to before COVID. It was always God's intent that everything that you get that comes over that pulpit that is right before God, you you and I are supposed to, to supposed to live in that. We're supposed to walk in that. We were always meant to use it. And so now that we're in this kind of this pandemic type thing or whatnot, what's happening is is that a lot of people are struggling with walking in their deliverance. Why? Because they have a tie, they have tied their obedience to the word of God or walking in um, the word of God. They have made the mistake and they have tied it to being able to physically gather and one, and one does not tie out to the other. No, no, they're, 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 they are, they are not, they're, they're not um, predicated on one another. Okay, what was supposed to happen and what is supposed to happen is, is that we're supposed to stay in that word still. You might not be able to be with the congregation, at, you know, the way you want to. But what was supposed to happen is, is that you're supposed to stay in the, in the tenets of the word. So if that word tells us to pray, we're supposed to continue to pray. If that word tells us to treat each other right, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be doing that. What does that mean, Brother Walker? What happened? You know, well, yeah, it's easier to treat people right that you don't necessarily know or that are not that are outside your family and outside your circle. Okay. It's easier to treat them right than it often than it is to treat those who are closest to you right. But that's the mission field. That's where it is. So we have to be diligent in that. So we learned that that when we take a backseat to sin to to uh to to obedience, sin begins to grow in strength. And the sin in particular is the stuff that God's delivered us from. Then we also learned something else about it. Is is that the equivalent of that when it gets strong enough to a certain point, just like um when uh Eagle on um, his strength gathered, when his strength was when he was strong enough, okay, he laid siege, okay to the children of Israel, all right? He smote, the Bible says, he smote the children of Israel. And then the Bible says that he possessed the city of palm trees. And we talked about this, how that city of palm trees, okay, is uh, more than likely is a reference to the city of Jericho and where the, where, where the walls fell down after the children of Israel marched around the walls seven times. And just like that, the, after, after that falling, we learned that there, that, that there was a curse spoken 
against the city of Jericho. And the curse was against anyone who would rebuild that city. Well, here we go. Fast forward, and here comes Egon, right? And, and, and the first thing that he does after smiting the children of Israel, okay, is, is that he rebuilds a cursed city. And so it is with us when we begin to walk in unrighteousness, okay? When we take a back seat or when we slow down on our prayer life or on the things and that we're supposed to do spiritually, what happens is, is, is that the old things that God delivered us from, they began to grow in strength, like Eglon grew in strength. They began to grow in strength, and brothers and sisters, when they grow in strength to a certain point, they, be they become or reestablish a stronghold, which in essence is their equivalent in our text of rebuilding a cursed city. So we learned a whole lot about all of that kind of stuff. And, um, uh, and that's very unfortunate that they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. But at the same time, that is an actual picture of how it is and what that, uh, of, or, or what it is that we uh that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes the struggle is real and anybody on this phone knows that you know man it's some days it's just better than others and there are days where you are really tempted to go backwards or go revert back to your old ways somebody say something that you don't like man first thing about to happen you about to go back everything that you shouldn't be saying is like is, is like it's, it's a batter on deck it is almost ready to be said right then and there. And we have to yield to the Holy Ghost in order to overcome that. And that is biblical. We have to do that. Why? Because the Bible tells us casting down imaginations and every high thing that what? Exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity, right? To the obedience of Christ. So we have these things. It's, we, we, there's a, there is an active component that you and I have or that is uh, in play when it comes to our deliverance. When God gives deliverance, what God does is that he also gives you the means or the tools in order to stay delivered. In other words, to walk in that deliverance, okay? So once God gives us deliverance, he then gives us the tools to do that. The Bible tells us just before we get into for you know, the uh, casting down imaginations, if you go back up a verse or so, the Bible tells us for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, okay? They're not worldly, okay? They're not of the flesh, but they are mighty through God to what? The pulling down of strongholds. Then it goes into casting down imaginations, all right? So it goes into all of those things. What does all that mean? Those That means that God literally brothers and sisters, has given us what we need or the strength we need in order to walk in the deliverance. The catch is, is this. He's not going to walk in it for you. You got to walk in it yourself. You and I have to be obedient to God's word for ourselves. And that's just something that we, that we have to do. Okay. We also learned that deliverance can be declined and that's a bad thing. You want to be careful when it comes to declining or walking away from deliverance. Why? Because one of the last things that we said was, was that when the children of Israel started walking in sin over and over and over. Okay. And the King Eglon comes in and what does he do? He smites them, takes over. Right. 
and then he, he enslaves them. The Bible says in verse 14, so the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Look at that, 18 years. Now, let me draw your attention to the word served there because that word served in that text, okay? This is, this is Judges chapter three, verse 14. And it says, so the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. That word served means to toil. It means to till, okay? It means to work. Okay, it, it, it means or to, to let work or to urge to work or to make to serve. And in the context of our scripture, it's where you're someone is being made to serve. Okay, um, or someone has been taken into service. Okay, it means to enslave. Okay, but it also check this out that word also can mean worship. Okay. It can also mean worship. When it means worship, an example of where it means worship would be Exodus 3 and 12, where he says, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. So God's talking to, talking to, uh, to, to Moses. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Now that phrase, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. That is an example of that same word, but when it means worship, okay? In our text, when the verse four, 14 says, so the children of Israel serve Eglon, in that case, it don't mean worship, okay? It means enslavement. It means that they were forced um, to work, all right? It means that they had absolutely no choice in the matter whatsoever. Now, if we break up, and we, we, talk, we talked about this, I'm going to say it again, though. If we break up the lifespan of an average person, which is about 80 years, okay, which is, and we get that, you know, we get that from, from this, from, literally from the scripture. But if you take the average lifespan of a person and you say that it's normally about 80 years, all right. Now, if you break that into four quarters or into four pieces, you're going to get 20 years a piece, obviously. Then if we do that, then in essence, when the Bible says that they served the king of Eglon 18 years, they, were, they served Eglon just two years shy of 20 years or a quarter of their lifespan. Now, I want you to think about that. They literally, because they chose to go backwards and to entertain the things that were wrong, or even the very thing that they had been delivered from, okay? Because they, in turn, they began to entertain or to do the wrong thing over and over, the end result was that they forfeited a quarter of their life. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Because many times, brothers and sisters, if we, when we start walking in unrighteousness, disobedience, or, or taking shortcuts on God and, 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 and knowing that we need to be acting better, but, but, but taking one another for granted, so we start walking in unrighteousness and doing the things that are not right, the things that are not pleasing to God, what starts out as just a little simple choice, you got to be careful. I got to be careful because I guarantee you that when the children of Israel began to sin over and over, in this instance, 
I guarantee you that there was probably not one of them that had the forethought or even envisioned that the repercussions of doing the wrong thing was the, that they were going to forfeit almost 20 years of life. And the question that we, one of the questions that we asked was, was how long are we willing to start over in our deliverance? How long are we going to be willing to press the reset button on our deliverance? Here's what makes that question all the more heavy. One might say that I'm willing to do it. I'm, you know what? I trade, you know what? I, you know, I'm, I'll be only live once. I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to, you know, and that, which is a world mentality because you don't. And it, it, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm, I'm going I'm gonna to do this and, and I'll pray later. I'll get it to, I'll get it to, I'll get it together later. Here's the thing. The children of Israel pushed reset on their deliverance, but it took 20 years to push that button all the way in, almost 20 years, 18 years is what the Bible says. It took almost, it took 18 years, so almost 20 years for them to start over. Brothers and sisters, when God delivers you from something, it is God's will and it is his intention that you stay delivered and that you walk in that deliverance because if you walk away from your deliverance, there is no guarantee that you're going to be able to walk back. I just want you to understand that. You be careful when you decide that you're going to take shortcuts, that I'm going to take shortcuts, that I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to start dabbling with the things that, that I used to because what happens is that when that thing sets in, and enslaves you all over again, you got to understand the grip on you the second time is stronger and harder than it was the first time. And so breaking free of that thing, <clears throat> while not impossible, glory to God, <clears throat> but while not impossible, it can be extremely difficult. It took them 18 years, 18 years in order to press the reset button. Now, let's take a look at something. So we got Judges chapter three and we read 12 through 15 and we just read and we just looked at um, 12 and 13 and actually we really looked at verse 14 as well. I'm gonna go ahead and add verse 15. But when the children of Israel said, or excuse me, cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. All right. Now, let's, let's learn a little bit about Ehud. And then we're going to tie all of this together, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, look, God is getting ready to bless you. Just hold, hold on for just a little bit longer. Now, Ehud, okay, is, um, is, uh, um, is, is in our text, is the judge that God raised up. So he is the second of the major judges. So he is not the second judge in order of, in the order of judges selected by God. Ehud is not the second judge that God raised up. No, no, no. There was somebody else that preceded him. Okay. But in the order or in the context of remember what we call major and minor judges, he is the second, he would be considered the second major judge. And the reason why is, is because we have all of this history that details uh, Ehud's deeds and what he did or how God worked 
through him in order to bring about deliverance, okay? So he is the second of the major judges. The other thing is, is that he is from the tribe of Benjamin, and that's very important. Why? Because Benjamin, uh, one of the sons of Jacob, okay? So one of the 12 tribes. Benjamin, brothers and sisters, um, the name or the personal name, Benjamin, okay? Now, Ehud is a Benjamite, so from the tribe of Benjamin. But Benjamin, okay? The tribe of Benjamin means son of the right hand. And I want you to keep that in mind. Benjamin means son of the right hand or son of the South. That's another way. But typically it is, it is, uh, it is defined as meaning son of the right hand. Okay. So he is the second. Uh, so Benjamin was that was the, was the, the, uh, the, the second son of Rachel. Okay. Born to Jacob. And so, and, and so Rachel died during childbirth. Uh, giving birth to um, to Benjamin, okay? Rachel died during childbirth while giving birth to Benjamin, okay? Um, and he became, obviously, the forefather of the tribe of Benjamin, all right? Now, he is used of God, obviously, in our text. We know this. He is used of God to deliver Israel from the power of the Moabites, okay? So that's, that's what he does. And if you read the entire story, we're not going to do that tonight. But if you were to read the entire story, it's a very fascinating, very interesting story, the way how that all broke down. And I do encourage, want to encourage you to actually uh, read beyond uh, verse um, 15 um, and read that entire story so you can learn just, you know, how that whole thing uh, went down. Now, Moab, the ge uh, um, um, geographically, uh, was on a plateau east of the Dead Sea, Okay. And the Moabites were the descendants, okay? So that Moab was on a plateau east of the Dead Sea, okay? So it really was south of the, uh, of the Ammon River. That's where it was. But the Moabites that inhabited that land, who were they? They were the descendants of Moab. And Moab was the son of, was one of the sons of Lot. And you can read that in Genesis 19 and 37. And you can read some more about that in Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 11, and then verse 29, okay? So that, um, um, that, that'll give you all the information that you need um, or want to know about, uh, about the Moabites. Now, Ehud's role in Judges, okay? Following, the previous judge was a man by the name of uh, uh, Othenio. Okay, and you and you can read about that in Judges three and eleven. So literally, the first the ver the fir the verse right before her, um, our text in verse twelve is where you will you 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 come in contact with Othaniel, and you can read actually beyond that um, uh, prior to that, and you can read all about that. Now Israel again at this point turns from God, all right, and consequently, obviously, under with Eglon, they fall into under the Moabite rule. Okay, Israel, when they do this, as we said before, Eglon got strong. And when he got strong, what did he do? He smote Israel. When he smote Israel, he enslaved Israel. He took them captive. And the children of Israel served the king of Moab or Eglon for 18 years. So then remember, they gave up almost a quarter of their life. If you think, look at it in terms of, of an 80 year lifespan. They forfeited a quarter of their life behind foolishness, which is not a good trade-off at all, okay? That's a whole lot of wasted time, okay? Now, God raises up the deliverer, and he, and, and, and he raises up Ehud, 
And the Bible says that he is a left-handed man. Now that might seem at first like that's a, you know, that that's a very random um, dis, um, uh, fact that the scripture gives, but that's actually getting ready to come back into play. Bible says that he's a left-hand man. Okay. Now, and you read that, we saw that in Judges 3 and 15. Okay. And then through that, what happens is, is that Ehud delivers the child, the, 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 the uh, um, um, if you read beyond it, you'll see how um, Ehud goes about um, delivering the children of Israel. But going back to that, that fact, God raises Ehud. And the Bible says that Ehud is a left-handed man. Now, I want you to understand, remember Ehud, all right, is from the tribe of Benjamin. All right. And Benjamin means son of the right hand. But Ehud, the Bible plainly dis discloses that Ehud is left handed. Now, that's not to say that God's deliverers all had to be right hand. No, no, that's not. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. But we're going to get somewhere. So I want you to just go with me. Benjamin means son of the right hand. OK, but the deliverer that he used was a man that the scripture specifically calls out is left-handed. So we going somewhere with that. And I want you to keep that in mind. When we walk in, when we talk about deliverance, brothers and sisters, we said this before, I'm gonna say it again. Deliverance, when you start talking about it, you gotta understand deliverance, true deliverance comes from God, straight up. True deliverance comes from God. And we can see this in Psalms 18 and 50. So great, uh, great deliverance giveth he to his king and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David and to his seed forevermore. That is the book of Psalms. That is the 18th number. And that is the 50th verse. Deliverance comes from God. Now, when we go back to our scripture, look at verse 15 in Judges chapter, uh, chapter 3. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Now, we can write tie all this together. Now, the word cried, I want you to take note of this word, because the word cried here, um, does, it's not just, it, doesn't, it does not just mean a cry out for help, all right? It does not just mean a cry out for help for help. But this particular word for, for cry is stronger than that. It adds some flavor to it. And the flavor that it adds to it is, is that not only does it mean to cry out for help, all right, but it means to utter, a, uh, to utter aloud or out loud a request for help with intensity. I want you to keep that in mind. It means it's not just a cry for help, but it is a cry for help with intensity, okay? It is a call for help. And not only this, not only is it a cry for help with intensity, but check this out. It also is, it also means to raise a battle cry. Glory to God. Now, so not only does it mean to cry out for help with intensity or intensely, but it also means to raise a battle cry. Now, it is true that bondage, okay, bondage makes deliverance necessary. It's because we get bound up. It's because we get tangled up that that calls or makes the case for why somebody would need deliverance. 
because you're bound, because you're locked up, because I can't, I'm confined, I'm restricted, I cannot move, I cannot, I can't do anything. And, and because I am in that state, and because you are in that state, or someone is in that state, that state alone makes the case for the need to be delivered. So bondage makes deliverance necessary. But the thing that we talked about, brothers and sisters, last week was that although bondage makes deliverance necessary, it does not make it mandatory. And that's where we walked into or got into the reality that, guess what? You can walk away from your deliverance, okay? Because bondage makes it necessary. You need to be delivered. I need to be delivered. But just because I need to be delivered, that does not mean that I am going to be delivered, okay? It does not make it mandatory. Now, why is this important? It's important because of this. Deliverance, what that means is, is that deliverance, brothers and sisters, is not automatic. And a lot of people get messed up and, and discouraged when it comes to deliverance because they 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 they, they say a prayer and ask the Lord and come to the Lord and 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 just Lord I, I you, you know where I am I need some help and I need this that another and so on and so forth and okay Lord I'm giving it to you I'm done and now all of a sudden they they I, I pray I've given it to the Lord or at least I think I've given it to the Lord and now I am somehow waiting for instantaneous deliverance. <laughs> waiting for it to happen and to manifest right there. And what happens, brothers and sisters, is that when it does not manifest in that picture or in that way, we sometimes find ourselves dealing with discouragement. Why? Because we thought it was going to be instantaneous. We also find ourselves dealing with that, dis that, that discouragement when it feels like, man, I've been doing good for a long time, but why now after all this time, or if I drop the ball in some area, whatever else it is, what's happening? We, those are also areas where we deal with disappointment. See, deliverance is not automatic. Deliverance, brothers and sisters, if for those of you who might be taking notes, um, and if not, this is being recorded, so this will you'll be able to have this and go over it and study it. Deliverance is not automatic. Deliverance, however, must be initiated first, okay? It's not automatic. It has to first be initiated. It has to first be initiated. Deliverance, when it, now that we know that and deal with that, it has to be initiated. Then you also have to understand this. Deliverance is mortal or human initiated, but it is divinely activated. So it's initiated by me and you, by a, we're, we're, we're human. It has to be human initiated. Okay, deliverance is always human initiated, but it is divinely activated. It is divinely put into play or it is divinely given. Or in other words, it is given by God. I have to initiate it, but God actually carries it out. Now, deliverance gets activated when we cry out with intensity to God. When we cry out to intensity, that intensity, what we mean by that is, is that when we cry out to God, when, when I'm stuck, when I'm bound, when I'm struggling, and when I can't get past whatever it is that I'm dealing with, when I cry out to God, when you cry out to God with intensity, meaning you cry out to God with a real desire to be delivered. That's what it means. With that. You, when you cry out to God, when I cry out to God sincerely, 
not going through the motion, not playing games with God. This is why a lot of people, whether you realize it or not, they are undelivered even to this day. Why? Because they're playing games. They are playing games with God. And God does not play games. God knows who's serious or not. And deliverance has to be initiated. It has to be, it has to be human initiated. And the way it's human initiated is, is when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, when they will cry out to the Lord with a real desire or intensity to be delivered. You look at Joel chapter two, all right, uh, verse, 30, uh, verse 32, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Romans 10, 13 echoes the same thing. Says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. Deliverance gets activated when we cry out to God. And the word of God is structured in such a way, and we just read that, that when we cry out to God, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And I love it the way it's expressed in Joel, in, uh, in the book of Joel or Joel, depending on how you pronounce that. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. I love that one because it throws that word deliverance right back in the mix. Deliverance is activated when we cry out in sincere, with sincerity to God, really wanting God. If you want to be delivered, if you want God to deliver you and you want to walk in it, you want to experience it, listen, you got to get sick and tired of things being the way that it is. You got to come to the end of that thing and you have to come to a decision that you know what? I cannot do it. I cannot save myself. I cannot help myself. I am crying out to the Lord. And the Bible tells you that when we do that, God will absolutely answer. He will deliver. The other thing that we need to know is, is that deliverance, it also gets activated when we raise the battle cry of the Lord against whatever I am in bondage to or have been in bondage to. So in other words, deliverance, not only when I cry out, Lord, I need you to rescue me, okay? But after I have already been rescued and now the temptation has been, is coming, is creeping up on me. Those old ways are starting to come back and starting to try to entice me. Deliverance gets activated when you raise the battle cry of the Lord. If you don't know what the battle cry of the Lord is, Romans 8, 37 says this, nay, in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors through him that loved us. Take that down to Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I'm overcoming what I'm going through. Whatever it is, the old desires, old temptations may come up at the most inopportune times, but I am going to rally. I am going to shout. I am going to declare the battle cry. Declaring the battle cry simply means, brothers and sisters, that you declare out loud the promises that God has spoken over you, the promises that gave you that deliverance in the first place. You got to revisit that thing. And you got to declare it when you find yourself struggling and feeling like you're about to fall under the weight 
of whatever it is, you got to say, uh, I know in all things through Christ, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When it gets heavy, when it gets rough, all you got to, you got to declare what the word says. And the word says that in all things, you are more than a conqueror, not on your own, but through him who loved us. You got this thing through the Lord. Now let's build. And let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. So we got that, that deliverance, okay? It's necessary. Deliverance, bondage makes delivery, deliverance necessary, but it doesn't make it mandatory, okay? Deliverance is not automatic. Deliverance, God has to be initiated first. And we initiate it when we cry out with sincerity, when, we, when we're bound and we say, God, I need you to deliver me. We also cry out, or it's also initiated when, when we have already been delivered, but now we're struggling with the desire or the temptation. Because remember, with every temptation, the Bible says there has been a made a way of escape. So when the when temptation begins to come and creep on me, when I have after I have already been delivered, I have to use the battle cry. The battle cry is simply stating or speaking aloud the promises or, in essence, the word of God. Now, our scripture says in verse 15, Judges chapter 3, but when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up them a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Girah, or Jira, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him, the children of Israel sent a present unto the king, to unto Eglon, the king of Moab. Now I want you to watch this. God raises up. Now remember what I told you before. So God raises up Ehud, who is a Benjamite and is left-handed. And the Bible specifically calls that out, that he is left-handed. Now, we said to keep in mind that the name Benjamin, okay, because Ehud is a Benjamite from the tribe of Benjamin. And the name Benjamin, although Ehud is left-handed, Benjamin means son of the right hand. Now watch this. Let's take a look at the role that God's hands, the role of God's hands in regards to deliverance. The right hand brothers and sisters, carries with it the sense, when we talk about the right hand in the Bible, it carries with it the sense of being straight, of that which is being straight. Now, when we say that, what that means is, is that when we say the right hand, the right hand typically refers to or is used to describe that which is just or righteous. And you can see that in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, okay? The right hand typically refers to that which is just or that which is righteous. Now, figurative, figuratively, the right hand of God, when we start talking about it in respect to God, the right hand means, or is re, the, um, when we talk about God's right hand in scripture, you're in essence talking about the means whereby victories are obtained for the people of God. And you see that in Psalm 17 and 7. Show thy marvelous love, loving kindness, O God, excuse me, O thou that savest by thy right hand, 
them which put their trust in thee for those, for those that rise up against them. So you see that right hand. You see it again in Psalms 98 and 1. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous thing, his right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. So it means, it refers to the means by which God brings victory. It also represents the instrument of God's punishment to the ungodly. And in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 16, you can see that. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou, drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. It also, when we talk about the right hand, the right, um, when we refer to the right hand of God, you're also talking about um, um, you're also talking about um, that which um, it pertains to how God sustains. When we talk about the right hand, you're also talking about God's ability to sustain his children in the hour of need. And we see that in Psalms 139 and 10. Even there shall thy right hand lead me, and thy, shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Now, furthermore, God's promises, God promises, brothers and sisters, to strengthen the right hand of the person that he, that he decides or proposes to help. And you can see that in Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy what? Right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. So we, we, we learn all this stuff about God's right hand because it represents some, some, some incredible things. When you start talking about God's right hand, okay? To be at the right hand of God is to occupy a place of choice blessing. That's Psalm 16, uh, 16 and 11. Thou will show me the path of light in thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. So that right hand also represents the right hand of God or to occupy the right hand of God is to occupy a place of blessing, okay? It also, it is also, brothers and sisters, a place where the Lord Jesus Christ reigns in glory and intercedes for us, us who have been redeemed. And we can read about that in Romans 8 and 34, amen. This is good stuff. Romans 8 and 34 tells us that. Who is he that, con that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the what? Right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, to offer, if you were to offer your right hand in biblical days, if you were to offer the right hand, the right hand is also a symbol of fellowship. Okay, it represents fellowship. So to offer the right hand of fellowship is to ex is the equivalent of extending the warmest and most accepting type of comradeship. Okay, and is and 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 even to this day, it's practiced in the church, the right hand of fellowship. Amen. And we can see that in Galatians two and nine. Also, when it comes to the right hand. When you give the right hand, giving the right hand is also a sign of pledge, or in other words, making a promise, amen. And you can see that in 2 Kings 10 and 15, okay? Now, 
That's the right hand. The right hand is incredible because with it, when you start talking about the right hand, okay? And remember, Benjamin means son of the right hand. And Ehud, this Benjamite, was the deliverer that God raised up. And Benjamin means son of the right hand. And right hand or the right hand in the Bible represents or refers to or alludes to or references the victory of God, the power of God to bring victory, the power of God to punish the wicked, the power of, of, of God to sustain his people. When you start talking about the right hand of God, you're, you, you are talking about God's ability to do all of these amazing and incredible things. These, the victories that God brings, the provisions that God brings, the, the, the blessings that God brings, all of these things in the scripture are often tied to the right hand, are associated with the right hand. So when God sends Ehud, the son of the right hand, he was sending victory. He was sending blessing. He was also sending punishment for the ungodly because Elon was getting ready to get his. See, God knew absolutely everything. And when the Bible calls these things out, brothers and sisters, these things are not for us to just pass over. No, this stuff is called out for a reason. God, Benjamin means son of the right hand. And the right hand represents the delivering power of God, the ability of God to provide a strong deliverance, the, abil the, the ability of God to provide a complete deliverance. That is what the right hand in the scripture represents. It represents the authority of God over absolutely everything. But then it comes down to the left hand. And we're going to wrap this up. The left hand on the other, on the other hand, on the, on the other side of the coin, we got the left hand. And the left hand, brothers and sisters, because remember, the Bible called out specifically that Benjamin was left-handed. Though he came from the tribe of, of Benjamin, which meant son of the right hand, the Bible said that Benjamin was left-handed. And there's a reason for that. The left hand, first, let's get an understanding of that. Usually in scripture tends to be associated with secrecy, okay? It also at times is so associated with treachery. It is also at other times associated with the undesirable activity. Ecclesiastes 10 and 2, a wise man's heart is in his right hand, but a fool's heart at his left. Amen. That's talking about the left hand. The left hand can also represent disfavor in the Bible. So whereas the right hand can represent favor of God, the left hand can represent disfavor, amen, of in the, in the Bible. So contrasting the right hand um, or of favor or strength, because right hand also means strength. So the left hand often at times represents weakness. Jacob chose Manasseh for a lesser blessing by putting his left hand on his head. In, in, in Jesus's parable of the sheep and the goats, the people condemned by God or the goats are separated toward what? His left hand and his left hand at judgment. And you can see that in Matthew 25 and 33. Now watch this. If you keep this in mind, keep in mind what the left hand tends to represent. And you also keep in mind the fact that deliverance comes from God. Then Ehud, as being from the tribe of Benjamin, 
is pointed out as being a left-handed man. The significance of this, brothers and sisters, or the reason why this is significant is because the Benjamites, I'm about to learn something else about the left hand that a lot of people don't know. Because he was of the Benjamites or of the tribe of Benjamin, the Benjamites were also known to have exceptional, exceptionally skilled fighters or warriors. They were considered exceptionally skilled because the Bible calls out their left hand because they were ambidextrous, meaning they had the ability to fight equally with both the left hand and with the right hand. If you look at Judges 3, um, if you look at Judges 2015, and the children of Benjamite were numbered at were numbered at that time out of the city, 20 and 6,000 men that drew sword beside the inhabitants of Gibba, which were numbered 700 chosen men. Among all this people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hair's breadth and not miss. And then you look at verse, and you look at verse, excuse me, at, at uh, Chronicles uh, 12 and 2. There were armed, they were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left hand in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren, a Benjamite. Now, notice what we just learned. Traditionally, the left hand is associated with negativity. But what people don't often realize is, is that the left hand in scripture is also has another meaning that helps us understand deliverance. The left hand also, just like the right hand in Psalm 1611, where it carries blessing, the left hand is also linked, amen. The left hand is also linked to representing the blessings of God. God, and if God, and, 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 and a good example uh, of this um, that we want to keep in mind here is, is that, or the significance that we want to keep in mind here is that, is, is that the left hand, not only does it represent secrecy or can it represent treachery and all these other things, but the left hand can also represent the blessing of God. It also represents skillful precision as well. God, in other words, the reason why the Bible calls out that he's left-handed is not in the sense of bringing out the negative definition, but what he's calling your attention to was the fact that those who were designated as left-handed referred to those who were skillful or just as skillful with the left hand in fighting as they were with the right hand. And what that significance is for us is, is that it means that God will use both his right hand and his left hand equally when it comes to providing deliverance for you. When God delivers you, and because the left hand also represents blessing and the right hand represents deliverance, that means that God knows how to bless you and deliver you all at the exact same time. When God, the Bible calls out that this 
judge was a left-handed man, what it was calling your attention to was the skillfulness, the ability to fight, not just with the right, but with the left. In essence, God's deliverance for the children of Israel would traditionally be associated with the right hand. But in this case, God wanted to add something to it. God wanted you to know that when he delivers you from something, God is going to use both hands to deliver you. And when God delivers you, when, because he uses both hands to deliver you, whenever you use both hands for something, it is also a sign of completeness or can be looked at as a sign of thoroughness. So when God delivers you using the left and the right hand, it means that God provides a deliverance that is supposed to be secure, that is sure, and that will last a lifetime. How do we know that? Because the, our text tells us or shows us that after the deliverance of the children of God, if you read what goes on here, that deliverance lasted 80 years. What's so heavy about that? Remember, when they were caught up in sin, they forfeited a quarter, 20 years. But here God is telling you that the deliverance that he gives using both his right and his left hand, giving you everything that he got, the deliverance that the children of Israel received because of Ehud's faithfulness, was a deliverance that lasted 80 years. And remember, 80 is about the average lifespan of a person. So what it actually means is, is that when God delivers you using both his left and his right hand, or in other words, with everything that he got, the deliverance that God gives you is meant to last a lifetime. Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Wow.